You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening in two weeks out, most important election of your life. They say that every election. This time they really mean it, though. Donald Trump struggling in the polls. But are the polls telling the actual true story? I saw a news article yesterday about vice presidential candidate Tim Kaine who was in an event with about 30 people last night. Half of them were dressed up as creepy clowns for Kane. So really, he only had about 15 supporters that weren't dressed as creepy clowns. It was crazy. Meanwhile, Trump is literally selling out stadiums. I don't even think he's charging. So it's hard to sell out if you're not actually charging. But he's filling them to capacity with thousands of folks chanting, lock her up and build the wall and some of his missives to the campaign. And the question is, are these people showing up in the polls? Some of the WikiLeaked information that we've seen has shown that Democrat operatives have been actively working with polling companies so they would oversample Democrats and try to do voter suppression the old-fashioned way by actually depressing Republicans about their candidate and his chances to win by not even going to the polls and not bothering to vote. Today, I also saw everybody's favorite anchor, Brian Williams from MSNBC, said uh, more than 6.5 million early votes have already been cast. And it was, uh, they, they're actually reporting with glee about the, the ballots will already be counted by the time the polls close officially on Tuesday, November 8th. And some of these networks sound like they're going to be ready to declare a winner immediately. I think it's going to be a race to declare some of these states already won, even though some of the ones out west may not even be closed. I think Nevada's in play, Arizona, Colorado, several of those states are definitely in play for Trump and Clinton. And it's a shame that the media would be rushing to judge all these early ballots being cast. Now, turnout among African Americans is supposedly down 10% from where it was. We'll see if that pattern continues. I believe Democrats have been instructing their voters to complain on Twitter about early voting. I, uh, I, I'm, I, I want as many people to vote as possible, but this, this early voting is getting out of hand. Uh, it starts three weeks or four weeks before the election. The Democrats complain that there aren't enough polling places open, that the lines are too long. The good news, Democrats, is we have a plan B this year. We've decided to call it Election Day. It's going to be on November 8th. It's from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Polling stations across your state are going to be open. So if you're facing four-hour lines to early vote, just wait. We have Election Day lined up. Yep, for the first... It's it's really a cool thing. We've been doing it for uh, a couple hundred years at least now. And a lot of people go vote on Election Day still, including yours truly. Now, I get it. Some people want to early vote. Some people may have um, difficulties getting to polls. Some people may be out of town. There are reasons why people need to early vote. But in an era of such lowly informed voters, I think it's important that people hold out and gain as much information and knowledge as they can. When you're working on a campaign and you're, you're, you're going door to door, you look at the calendar and you say, we still have a couple more weekends to hit voters. You have to actually scrub the, the database to make sure that the people you're going to haven't already voted. 
it is still, uh, I guess it's looking at 20 to 30 percent of the early vote now will be cast in Georgia, much higher in other states. I was hearing 60 percent in other states. Dave, you you early vote. What do you what do you think about uh, early voting? Do you do you think it's easier? Is it something that you just don't have to worry about on Election Day or what's like what's the incentive or motivation for it? Well, normally over the years I voted on Election Day, but uh, we voted uh, a couple of years ago uh, an early vote because we were leaving we were going to be out of town. And uh, so we went the other day, and I had happened to be at the probate court earlier for some other business and uh, asked them, you know, if it was going to be crowded. And they said, well, there's usually a window between 2 and 4, and then from until we close it's pretty busy so we get over there about 5:15, and we were the third people in line wow. so there wasn't anybody voting um and huh. when i was there earlier in the morning it was like a stream of people coming in mm-hmm. and going out but uh that afternoon uh thursday afternoon it was uh, very nice to walk in vote uh, everything was done in about uh 15 minutes Getting back up Roswell Road and uh, going to a restaurant we had reservations at uh, was a bigger challenge than the voting was. How do I feel about it? If uh, you know, I, I must add some reservations uh, regarding whether my vote will be counted. I hope it is, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, some spooky things can go on with those machines. Well, we've seen they're they're switching names supposedly again. I want to get some evidence of this video wise, not just from some of these right wing sites, but it's it, it always seems that it switches from the Republican to the Democrat, never vice versa. You know, I, I want to bring up another subject if you don't mind. Of uh, course not. We uh, we've heard, you've heard, all of us have heard that uh, you know the Democrats have such a heck of a ground game. They've got people all over the place canvassing and going door to door and Mm -hmm. all this and yet just like you pointed out they can't buy an audience they haven't hillary can't buy an audience nope they 150 200 for supposedly the queen of the ball you know (laughs) so (laughs) i look at it it the other way that uh you know yeah trump doesn't have the big organized democratic ground team that's walking door to door begging people to vote but he's got something else he gets these crowds of twenty, thirty thousand people. Mm-hmm. They go home. They also go and talk to their neighbor. They also talk to the people at work and say, "Look, I went to a Trump rally, yeah. and it was good." What's the difference between that and hiring people to go door to door or having your super organization? I'd rather have the independent people yeah. that have come to my rally. They're more likely to talk to you. Then, you know, right. I well, don't do, want like somebody the, interrupting the my indi- dinner. The individual testimonial is important, and I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, here's a good anecdote for you. I was at an event on Sunday. It was uh, put on by the Chinese uh, Chamber of Commerce over in uh, D- Doraville. And I will tell you, they we walked around, and I had a Republican shirt on with, uh, with, with Lane Flynn, and more than a dozen folks came up to me asked me who I was voting for and I said well I'm a Republican so I'll, I'll be supporting the nominee and they all whispered to me me too but they were it was strange because if they had all known each other was all voting for Trump they might not have been whispering but it seems 
it, there may be something to this uh, this the silent majority. It may actually be very silent this time, but may come out to vote. I, you know, it's it's hard to in, ignore some of the data uh, uh, with how poorly he's doing with with women, basically. But with women being more than fifty percent of the vote now, it's that's a horrible number to to be way behind. But he's only fifteen points behind, and I say only because. That's not insurmountable, especially if that 15-point number isn't as high as the headline says, right? Well, I, I think there's been a bag job on Trump. I, quite honestly, and I don't feel that he's done a good job of addressing the bag job. Right. But I do think there has been a, a certainly a media blast and everything else to, to drown Donald Trump. Right. And, uh, uh, well, this, the latest thing he's responded, but yeah, the latest thing about these rigged elections, and and here's the other thing. Here, here's the thing, folks: voter fraud exists. The Democrats have been doing it for years. They're still engaged in doing it. They register dead people. They have illegals go vote. It, that's that's a fact. Voter fraud is different than rigged elections. In fact, if you have rigged elections, you don't need voter fraud, right? I mean, that would be my argument. But uh, now Trump is, uh, what's the headline? He said he's going to sue all of his accusers, which he just got accused by a porn star Mm. that he offered $10,000 to kiss her. I mean, sorry, honey, you a porn star. That's called uh, scene scene one. (laughs) Just... Oh no! That's now, a, now that's I, a trailer. I, I was about to say that's the trailer. Yeah, I, I, now I'm going to get the hate mail apparently. But uh, folks, it, it's uh, it, it, at some point you've got to wonder how these women would have been or why they would have been quiet for so long, and they just come out two weeks before. I think it. I think it almost begs credibility these days. And you'll see that they're starting to not get as much attention. I mean, it's almost like, oh, here's another one. Here's yeah, another one. Here's another one. I they're mean, getting attention from him, and he should have just dropped it. You know, yeah. him coming back out the uh, yesterday and or said the he's going to sue him. You know, I don't. He's welcome as far as I'm concerned. He can sue their pants off or anything else for all I care. But he doesn't need to come out and say it. Right. After the election, he can sue the hell out of it. Right. Or, do whatever or have his wants. people do it. Why does yeah. he have to be the one responding to everything? Why is he the one calling Mrs. Venezuela fat? Why can't he have a surrogate do it that's not necessarily associated with the campaign? I don't. That's the part I don't understand. I mean, he's got Kellyanne Conway as a professional uh, campaign manager. She's done pretty good, but I mean, at some well, level, is, you, you, know, you she has to have a battle. You have to. I mean, every day she must wake up and say, "I'm turning into Twitter. See what see what that guy said." Thank God he was quiet last night. I mean, that must be what she's thinking, right? Please. please I mean, she must be so it. stressed out. Her blood pressure must be just <laughs> nutty right now where every every time she gets a text message, she must be like, oh, God, what do you do? Oh, good. It's just we're, we're up in Georgia. Excellent. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, Dave. We talk, I wanted to make sure we preface this a little bit. I talked about this. Uh, the Walking Dead, it's a uh, graphic novel that's been going on for many years now. Great show. The most watched show in, in the country, actually. So they had their epic season premiere on Sunday night. One of the main characters was killed off. And to the shock and horror and dismay of many long-term fans. But I also wanted to, I guess, point some of this out. Vox, not to be confused with Fox, they came out with a, a it's a critical review of it. They say the Walking Dead season 7 premiere is terminally stupid television. And they have this whole article that's kind of a critical review piece of it, but it's basically saying that they're mad 
at the plot twist, the creative direction of the story. And I think that that's, uh, well, I think that's a little unfair. You know, the death of this character had been in the graphic novel for a while now. So it really shouldn't have come to that much of a surprise to the viewers. But everybody's mad. Here's my advice, folks. Vote with your remote. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Can you imagine if we'd had social media when Dallas came out so many years ago, David? JR was shot, then it was revealed to all be a dream. Can you imagine what the outrage would have been at that level? I would have loved to have a Twitter handle back then just to be able to get all of the fan reaction and the critical reaction complaining that the story didn't go in the direction that they wanted. I've always thought that if a story has a creative direction, that you really shouldn't complain about that. I've seen other people complaining that the story has just gone too over the top now, that it had been somewhat of a pleasant escapism for them, and now that the characters are have been killed off in a very violent way, that it's just jumped the shark. And I just want to direct people to some of the previous seasons where I believe a uh, one of the characters killed a eight-year-old little girl uh, very gruesomely. There was another scene where one, the character Bob woke up to find his leg missing and uh, cannibals sitting around a fire eating it. So it hasn't exactly been a pleasant love story for the duration. So I guess I'm trying to figure out where this this beautiful escapism world has come from and that they went over the top the other night so you guys let me know am i wrong probably not but let me know your opinion you can tweet at me at, at greg's list live or comment on facebook and we'll be back we've got a couple of amendments that'll be prosecuted today our prosecutor just walked in actually more of a defendant slash prosecute Catherine bernard will be talking about amendment three and jason downey will be calling in in a couple minutes to talk amendment one see you in a minute on greg's list obamacare is failing we all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. 
45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's This Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. If you were tuning in last week, you'll remember we were talking about Amendments 1 and 2. That'll be on your Georgia ballot. These are amendments that are uh, asking to change the Constitution, which I do think some people think that means the federal Constitution, but it's actually the Georgia Constitution that's up for vote and my two folks here in the audience or the the room here with me are shaking their heads and saying, yep, you're probably right, Greg. People don't realize that it's the Georgia Constitution. Amendment 1, I had Nancy Jester on last week. She wrote a strong op-ed in favor of voting yes on the Opportunity School Districts. I think we covered that issue pretty well. Today we have a dissenting opinion from a friend of mine. I was down in Macon, Georgia yesterday, Jason Downey, who is on the Bibb County Board of Education. He's from District 6, and he's also the current vice president president of the board. He's going to uh, talk to us a little bit about his opinions and uh, educate us on his side of the aisle on Amendment 1. Jason, welcome to Greg's List. How are you? Thanks, Greg. Doing great. How are you doing? I am wonderful, my friend. I, uh, I'd seen you posting um, your uh, commentary on Amendment 1, and I can tell you definitely have an educated perspective. And you actually serve on a local school board, which would be directly impacted by this legislation. So I don't think you can get a more qualified opinion than you. Um, whether it's right or wrong, we'll let the readers and listeners discern that. But I uh, wanted to give you a little bit of time to, to talk about your perspective, your experience having actual served on a local school board and um, you know what your concerns are with Amendment 1. I've had quite a few. Thank you, Greg, for letting me speak out about uh, this power grab, if you will, uh, that is Amendment 1. I, I want to say that I, and I appreciate your comments about um, the qualifications to speak uh, about this or rather against it. I think that there are a lot of people in the state that are more qualified than any of us, and, and those are the teachers. Uh, and administrators that work in the schools mm-hmm. every day, right. and, you know, on the front lines and see what's going on. But uh, I want to preface my comments on Amendment 1 by saying that, uh, if you will, I don't have any skin in the game. Uh, I am completing my term. I will come off of the Bibb County Board of Education in December of this year. Uh, I ran for re-election and uh, went to a runoff and decided to withdraw from the runoff. So some people might say, well, he has a vested interest because he serves on a school board and, and will for the next four years. No, I won't. So I'm done. Okay. And I think that, that adds some credibility to yeah. my argument against it. And, and I'll say this. Bibb County does have a number of schools. Originally, we had 13 schools that would qualify for this opportunity school district. We since have consolidated some of those schools uh, in an effort to, uh, well, for a variety of things. Some of it was for financial reasons, some were for um, just the changes in population, trying to consolidate schools. We, we're down to nine now. But there are a number of reasons why I oppose this, but I'll, I'll get to the, the first, which is that this this notion of a chronically failing school, uh, had, you know, it takes a look at the, the Common Core, the CCRPI, Georgia Milestone, whatever 
the flavor of the month um, sort of matrix that we're measuring whether or not a school is failing by, which is arbitrary in and of itself. Um, it doesn't look anything beyond just what that number is. It's this assigned number, and if it's below 60, it's considered failing. It doesn't look at the improvements that that school may have had over the past two, three, or four years. It doesn't look at changes in local leadership that have tried something new. It doesn't look at graduation rates in the county overall to see if they've been trending upward. It doesn't really look at the data beyond just simply this number and whether or not a school has quote-unquote chronically failed, which means for three years they've scored under 60. So it doesn't really look beyond just that number, and uh, I think that's a real disservice to counties like Bibb County, where we've had uh, big changes in our Board of Education, and we'll continue to have changes in the upcoming term. We'll have two more new people on the school board. We have a new superintendent who's very well respected. Uh, we've had a lot of turmoil in Bibb County with our leadership, mm-hmm. and we brought a new superintendent on board is really changing things. And, you know, something like this really sweeps the rug out from under the administration and really undermines the, the authority and local control that not just the Board of Education, but then the superintendents have of their schools. So that's sort of the, the primary thought behind my opposition to it. There, there are more issues, some of them legal and some of them the fact that I think that the way the amendment is worded on the ballot is very disingenuous. The way it's worded, I mean, everyone, uh, you, you're a jerk if you say no to the way it's worded on the ballot. It's, uh, do you believe that... Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we should help all the schools that are bad. Well, sure, who doesn't want to help schools out? I mean, come right. on. Right. Well, there's always, you know, the, that's always kind of the fight with once the uh, the legislation or the uh, amendment uh, is approved, and then it's about the verbiage and how do you address both sides. And that's always the real battle, right, is do you make it look really flowery? Remember the T-Sploss language was, was quite flowery, and that uh, did not do well in, I believe, nine out of the 12 jurisdictions that it was in. Uh, for Amendment 1... The, the argument is that we uh, it hasn't gone it doesn't go far enough though we spend nine billion dollars a year the state does on education so I, I guess I, I want to hear why uh, or the argument that it's ta- a government takeover when it's already government that is in charge of these schools so can you talk to that a little bit sure I, I am a conservative uh, and and so by virtue of that what I believe in is minimal government intervention. And and we can save the argument about public versus private schools and vouchers and all that for another day. But if we're talking about a public school system that we we run, okay, and we get money from the federal government through grants, and then we have money from the state through tax dollars. Nine billion a year. Yep, and then we have local school boards which have been monies that either come from the state through equalization grant money or the local fair share. Or SPLOS, right? Some counties on top of that have ESPLOS, right. which now let's, you know, we have different piles of money and, and you can't intermingle the piles of money. Um, but at the end of the day, for me, being a conservative means limited government intervention. And to take that a step further, I would say when government intervention or, or government uh, administration is needed in something, it is always optimal to do it at the most local level. And so to that end, uh, I, I oppose the existence of the U.S. Department of Education. I mean, I'll throw that out there because I think the states should be able to manage and can manage uh, their own education systems. Mm-hmm. But 
to take that a step further. I believe that we, as a state, have local boards of education that are elected by the people, that that is where and who will know best what is best for the children. And we have a checks and balances system by which we can elect or unelect and even recall our local officials that serve on boards of education. And to take that a step further, there are still state oversights that say that if a child is in a quote-unquote chronically failing school, the parent can then opt to choose to send their kid to a non-failing school within that school system. And now with the advent of charter schools, which are popping up all over the place, and some people might say, well, I don't have a, a countywide charter school in my district, but there are statewide charter schools that have to accept students from all over the state. We have more and more choices available, right. and you're going to see those expand. But that leads me, okay, so, so the charter school amendment that passed a couple years ago, and actually the voters ended up approving, were you in favor of that one? And I'm not trying to muddy. I'm not trying to muddy the waters here. I no. I just think Republicans need to be on the side of of school choice and school vouchers, and that's what you're talking about. But we're you know I don't. That was another amendment that was tried. To, the, the the local school boards tried to say it was going to take away their influence. That turned out not to be true. And I, I worry a little bit about the the chicken littles on this one too. You seem a lot more uh, educated on this matter. In fact, more than I am. So I am. Uh, beginning to turn a little bit, but not well, not, and, not, and not the whole way, though. I know, I know. <laughs> and, and listen, some of the opposition, I know there's some great people out there like uh, like Nancy Jester and Fran Miller yep. uh, and, and, and many others who have, and particularly Senator Fran Miller has said, uh, the same arguments that people are making against the Opportunity School District mm-hmm. are the same people making the same arguments uh, against the Charter School Amendment. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I supported the Charter School Amendment um, and thought it was a good thing because I think that competition does breed excellence. And so that, that's another thing that some people use as an argument for, for the Opportunity School District in Amendment 1 is they say, well, what a great way to suddenly threaten the local school systems if they know the state could come in and take over their school. Wouldn't it force them to do something more? And I, I don't really buy that argument. I, uh, that sort of insists and, and presupposes that local school boards don't care, mm-hmm. uh, and now suddenly that, that they're going to because of some scare tactic. And I don't really... Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I guess what I would look at, though, Jason, I mean, it's great to say, yes, we're, these elections are local, but I look at Clayton County, where they reelected a convicted felon for sheriff, and their school board lost accreditation, and they reelected those people. Or DeKalb County, where I live, where we have under 50% graduation rate, and a school board that uh, the governor, governor had to intervene a few years ago, and is still somewhat dysfunctional. So I, I don't... I, I, the inherent... Uh, Assumption that local control is always better. I think that that's that's not exactly accurate either. But um, well, I, and, and I agree with that. But again, there are mechanisms by which, as you said, a governor can come in, and, and there there is Georgia law that says that if and a president school, now, <laughs> that's what, uh, if if there is a school system that has chronically failing schools and is in jeopardy of losing its accreditation, which if there are a number of chronically failing schools, it stands to reason that. They could and would lose their accreditation. Right. Um, that the governor can come in and remove them, and he's done that before, and he'll he'll do it again. Uh, maybe not Governor Deal if he necessarily has to, but but someone else. And um, the, there are mechanisms by which the state can come in. There always is mm-hmm. when you're dealing with state dollars, and they they have that right to be able to come in and say you're doing this wrong. 
but to that extent, the way that it's prescribed by Georgia law, there are already those checks and balances. Gotcha. All right, and well, and Jeff- I don't think that this amendment really, I, I just, again, I think it, it becomes a little bit of a power grab. Yep. And you get people from outside of the community that are doing things and... They don't really have that uh, that that time. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if there's a way to do it. And Jay, we'll have to wrap up here, Jason. I know I appreciate you calling in on your busy time schedule, but uh, seeing your your qualifications for it, I definitely wanted to have your voice out there so nobody accuses me of being a one sided uh, partisan. Uh, I, I wonder if there's a way that they could look at it and say, look, uh, the state does have a role to come in, but we would need to be comprised of people from the local county. I wonder if that's a compromise that we can look at. Jason Downey, Bibb County Board of Education, Vice President of the Commission, and uh, and a great all-around American. Uh, the replay of the show will be on tonight. I appreciate you calling in and talking about uh, the other side of the coin on Amendment 1, and voters will be headed to the polls on November 8th if you haven't been one of the 600,000 who've early voted already. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's List. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's This Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We just got the uh, the con, if you will, and that's not the way to describe Jason Downey. He's a great American, never been convicted of anything. But there's a pro and a con or a positive and a negative on Opportunity School District. Some would argue that there are no positives about it. We had Nancy Jester on last week, and we talked about the positives and the yays on it. I'm uh, I'm torn. I haven't early voted yet. I, I tend to, to lean towards voting for it but um again it's uh it's not looking real good in the polls that doesn't mean you should run away from it just because something isn't popular doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do so i do encourage everybody to do their due diligence amendment one to me is uh fairly straightforward if you're accepting of the status quo and uh and feel like the state would not do any better than your local officials vote no if you're not happy with a failing status quo in georgia education and think that uh the state would actually do a better job at uh, some of the local decisions being um, 
being made, then you would vote yes on it. Amendments two and four are basically setting up consumption taxes for their own uh uh, pet causes, if you will. You can research those. One's about fireworks. The other is about child sex trafficking, which is quite a uh, more serious issue than fireworks, of course. So I don't mean to treat either one lightly, but basically they are trying to set up consumption taxes on people for their own pet causes. Amendment three is by far the most convoluted amendment. It's the uh, kind of, can you see the forest for the trees? This would be the trees amendment. And uh, I have a feeling that people are going to just get in a habit and vote no on all of these and Amendment 3 will be the third domino in that rung. But if you are going to vote no or if you are going to vote yes, I want you guys to get a little more information, a little bit more explication on what this does or doesn't do or why it needs to be done or why we should keep things the way they are. So we have Attorney Catherine Bernard here, Spartacus Legal, right? Is that the... Yes, that's the nonprofit that I do work on. I also uh, work for the state of Georgia as a conflict public defender. All right. So very well qualified person here. And you're going to tell us a little bit about Amendment 3 or a lot. So if I'm, I'm going to give you the uh, the microphone here. Talk about uh, kind of the purpose of the amendment, the purpose of having the JQC, what good it has done over the years, and what unintended negative consequences you could foresee. So that's a lot of stuff right there. So I'm going to let you speak. Well, the Judicial Qualifications Commission was created by a constitutional amendment in 1972 because Georgia citizens were concerned about accountability from their judges. As you know, Greg, judges in Georgia are elected, but for most of the superior court and positions, there's not an initial election. There's an appointment by the governor because a judge steps down during the middle of a term. And then, of course, the incumbent has a big advantage because a lawyer who's practicing in front of a local judge, it's going to be pretty hard to run against that judge. So once a judge has been elected, it's generally a pretty safe spot. Unfortunately, that can cause bad behavior. And so there does need to be a way to hold those judges accountable. Thus was born the JQC. Now, there has been some unhappiness with the JQC recently, much of it emanating from judges who have been disciplined by the commission. One of those judges who was removed from office was Johnny Caldwell. He was removed for sexually harassing an attorney who appeared before him on multiple occasions and basically asking her to perform sexual favors in exchange for favorable rulings on the case. Pretty troubling stuff. That sounds pretty 1850s-ish to me. It's pretty troubling stuff. So Judge Caldwell was disciplined by the JQC. Disciplined? Yes, he was That's He was removed. Mere, um, okay, removed. That's he, better. He was removed, <laughs> and now he is a state representative. So he does still retain some popularity with the folks in his area, and he is one of the sponsors of this amendment hmm. to reform the JQC. So that gives you a little bit of an idea. Now, is it to of, reform or disband it? That's actually a good question. There's two pieces of legislation we're talking about here. One is H.R. 1113, which is the actual amendment itself. That's what the legislature voted on to say all Georgians are going to see this question on their ballot of do you want to reform the JQC. Okay. But then there's also HB 808, which is what's called the enabling legislation. And that's where the legislature has already decided the way that they want to reform the JQC if we as the voters give them that power. Okay. And so that's where we know that they want to take the current composition of the court, which includes appointments from the state bar, you know, outside of the goal 
gold dome, Mm -hmm. and it wants to put all that power under the gold dome, taking away all of the state bar's ability to appoint and giving it Mm -hmm. to the Speaker of the House, the Lieutenant Governor, and the Governor. Now, I will say the um, at least they're transparent, right? I mean, at least they've said this is what the end goal is going to look like, which I will say the Opportunity School District has not done as good of a job. Now, you may or may not like what uh, HR 808, is that it? It, HB 808. HB House Bill, not House Resolution. House Bill 808. You may not like what it says, but at least they say where it's going, right? So I, I think we know what we're voting for more than maybe the OSD, which is a little more arbitrary or open-ended. Is that a fair argument, Counselor? I, I think it's a fair argument, though not one that I would ultimately agree with. I think really all of our legislators have dropped the ball on these amendments because we shouldn't have to be the ones finding out what's going on. If they're going to vote on something to put on our ballot, the courtesy is to let your constituents know, we've got this issue coming up, here's the vote, I recommend on it, but you know, do your own research and vote your contents. It seems like only once they there has been negative publicity, that's when you start seeing the arguments in favor of mm. it. And that's what you saw here. Um, and Wendell Willard was one of the sponsors of this legislation. And he actually took the unusual step of holding hearings on the legislation after it was already passed. Mm-hmm. So you might have heard about some of those that were taking place uh, earlier this yeah. year. And I did hear he spoke at a, a meeting I was at about a year ago. And unfortunately, a lot of these terms are, are acronyms. And it's very similar to any uh, industry that you're in. If I talk to you about mortgages, I'm going to use acronyms. You're not going to know what the hell I'm talking about. So with all these acronyms, which JQC was uh, mentioned many times, I think it was over the head of most of the, and these aren't you know just casual observers. These are people that are engaged, but this is a very in-the-weeds type discussion. So what what would be the some of the negative unintended consequences of, of, of dissolving I guess what could be called an independent panel? Well, one of the negative consequences would be an increased politicization of the process. And that's really illustrated by the fact that our current Speaker of the House, David Ralston, is actually in an active litigation with the bar right now because he has violated state bar rules. He is a practicing attorney, and in the course of representing a civil plaintiff, he repeatedly put off this person's case. Now, this is a person who had hired him because he'd been injured in some way and needed to get help. And during the course of pushing this case off, there had been some improper payments from one of his client accounts uh, to another client Mm -hmm. account. So these are problematic rules. Lawyers get disbarred for this sort of thing. They get reprimanded. But not David Ralston. He hired Roy Barnes, that's right, former Governor Roy Barnes, to defend him against the state bar. And the last I've heard is they had, together, David Ralston and Roy Barnes had offered a settlement to the state bar that had been rejected, which I'm sure that's the kind of treatment other law Lawyers who have gotten in trouble would love to get, oh, yes, I know I broke the law, but here's my offer of a settlement. Well, for that, it. I mean, that happens in, in many industries. I guess the, the question is, is the state bar, is that the, the final umpire, if you will, the, the, the judge and jury for, for lawyers? Or is there, would, that, it, would it be something that could go even higher to like a federal authority if a case went so far? Well, the state bar is in charge of basically saying, "Hey, you you got a DUI, it's over for you." I mean, if you get a DUI, don't you can a lawyer like they lose their license, right? 
I don't think they automatically lose their license, but it certainly is a character and fitness issue that gets brought up before the bar. But decisions of the bar are reviewable by the Supreme Court. Okay. So there is a, a higher authority okay. on the bar. And I recognize that, you know, the argument advanced in favor of Amendment 3 is, well, the state bar isn't accountable. The public doesn't elect members mm-hmm. of the state bar, and they do elect their legislators. But my question is, if the goal here is increased accountability, why are we seeing this sponsored by someone who actually was disciplined by the JQC? Why are we seeing this pushed? And mm-hmm. we would be giving more authority to someone who is currently yeah. under investigation by the state bar. I will say it is uh, whenever you research sponsors of certain bills, you can do uh, uh, connecting the dots on a variety of issues, especially some of the uh, protectionism that we've seen in, in craft beer and uh, taxi and some of those other bills, so it is it is fairly rampant, and uh, I guess they, I guess they're not as sneaky as they could be, which is a good or bad thing. Either they really don't think people care, right, that they can have their name on something that would directly benefit the insurance industry, or they say, you know what, I'm being transparent. At least you know where I stand, right? And I think most of them do fall on that latter side. And this is why rules about conflicts of interest and independence of these accountability organizations are so important, because we as human beings are not good at catching our own biases. If you've been working in the legislature with a group of people for decades, you're not the best person to judge them. You're not the best person to appoint people to be over them. The state bar, while it certainly does have its flaws, at least is in a position to be somewhat separate from the gold dome. So bringing all these processes back under the gold dome, again, to give the appointments to the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the speaker of the house, that's that's not moving in the direction of more accountability. So what what are some of the positives that the or, or the wins I guess or the consumer protections or or citizen protections I guess uh that the JQC has had? I'm I'm looking at their propaganda or what are the propaganda sites for voting no on amendment 3 and it looks like they they have played the role of watchdog uh for at least a decade here. They have, and it's actually been close to four decades uh, that the JQC has been operating, and they've been involved in cases such as the one with... So back when Democrats were, and sorry sorry to interrupt, but just to, you know, the Republicans didn't take uh, leadership of the state until 2002. So this has been through two uh, changes of the guard, so to speak. Oh, yes. As as I mentioned, this originally was formed by constitutional amendment back in the 1970s. So it has been around for a while, and I think there have been some good examples of holding judges accountable, like with former Judge Cynthia Becker in DeKalb, who, after presiding over a case in which an individual entered a guilty plea to a misdemeanor, she immediately had him sent to jail. Now, in Georgia, anyone who's convicted of only a misdemeanor is entitled to a bond while they appeal that. However, Judge Becker decided she wanted this person to stay in jail, so she left on her planned weekend vacation to an Army-Navy game. Then, when questions were asked about this later, she claimed well, I didn't get his request for bond before I left on vacation. Email trails don't lie, and it was discovered <laughs> that she was mistaken about this. She needed and to use bleach bit, it sounds like. Exactly. And so she had made these false statements to the JQC and was actually <laughs> indicted in Cobb County before a grand jury for making false statements. So somehow our legislators, legislature's response to this is to say, Judge Becker was treated unfairly. We need to make the JQC nicer to judge. Judges. 
judges. And I just can't agree with that. Mm -hmm. We should hold judges to an even higher standard of behavior than the average citizen. Especially because once they get in, an incumbent judge, I mean, is very difficult to unseat. Sure, they, sure, a lot of them are elected. Some of them are lifetime positions, though, right? Uh, Not in Georgia. None in Georgia. Not in Georgia. All right. Well, see, learn to Even the Supreme Court justices. I was about to say yes, because I do have, remember having voted for uh, David Namius a couple times. So you're right. But can you imagine being a lawyer in the state of Georgia running against David Namius? No one would line up behind you. It's just too dangerous. You realize that. Well, and, th- and you know what? We're going to take our break here. But I was going to ask you that because uh, you've been outspoken on a lot of issues, and I've always been a little curious as to how that's impacted you in the uh, legal community. I can imagine it's given you a, a fan base, but it can also have probably created some enemies. So uh, we don't have to get too much into the weeds on that, but just a general perspective on that would be entertaining. And we can also talk about a couple of the other amendments and uh, I guess a little bit about Republican messaging going forward because we have a huge problem with millennials right now. And uh, I'm not one. You kind of are. So uh, we'll be back talking more issues with Catherine Bernard. You're listening to Greg's Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Talking about some serious topics today. There are four amendments on the uh, Georgia ballot this year. These are constitutional amendments proposing to change, not the federal constitution, your amendments 1 through 27 now. Is that right? 26. 26. I want there to be a 27th amendment. 
I want there to be the balanced budget amendment, but that one would come with strings as well. 26, that's why I'm not a lawyer, David. I, in my America, there's 57 states and 29 amendments. Welcome to Greg Land. You're on Greg's list. We're with Catherine Bernard. We were prosecuting Amendment 3. Um, Jason Downey earlier prosecuted Amendment 1. I'm, I'm not the best defender of either. I'm a more passionate defender of Amendment 1. Uh, Amendment 3 is, um, again, it's fairly complex. It's kind of like inside baseball for the political and judicial world. Um, and I will say Catherine Bernard, Spartacus Legal, also a uh, public defender for the state of Georgia. Not exactly. My views do not represent those of the state. I was, of I was about to say we probably maybe need they to, do, but I certainly can't make that promise. We probably need to preface everything you say with with that, as uh, you certainly have not been shy and you've been outspoken. Has that um, impacted you in any way when you go to uh, a court that maybe the other side knows you or the judge knows you? Maybe you've said something that. Uh, has alienated them? Does that ever come into play? Absolutely. And I will tell you, Greg, I am so sorry. It is 27, not 26. I was thinking that the 28th is the one. Uh, you know so what? You are, you I love this. Right. Stump the lawyer time. Greg's. I had to get out my pocket constitution <laughs> that you can see if you are watching us on the web right now. Wait. And Greg was indeed right. So, uh, just you know what? I, 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 you know what? We're cutting the show right now. I win. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, certainly being outspoken on these issues is something that people are aware of in the legal system in Georgia. I enjoy traveling around, you know, finding individual cases of injustice right. that we can really pour ourselves into. And I have found that some of the assistant district attorneys have taken to watching my videos on YouTube. Uh, one of them actually filed a motion trying to forbid – he filed two motions to forbid me from talking about the case on Facebook <laughs> and to forbid me from arguing about jury nullification. Now, shouldn't – you be a little cautious though about social media posting or is there a kind of a line where okay if i don't mention the person's name it's okay i don't i don't my rule is if it is said in open court, then it's fair game. Okay. You know, obviously nothing that would be that would be damaging to any of my clients. Because there's a privilege thing that's you right. You're obviously not going to put anything that's attorney-client privileged on. But I am in a position where I'm able to, you know, choose cases that I really believe in to fight. And you know, there are so many cases where people are are being framed, or innocent people are being hurt in some way. I like to focus on those uh-huh. so that people can really count on. You know, I'm. I'm not going to lie to them about it, Uh says the lawyer. But I I do think that getting these things out in the open is so important, and that's Uh why this JQC amendment really does strike at the heart of our judicial system, because we need to have more power in the hands of the people versus the Uh government. And so that's why the language in this amendment that talks about, you know, more access, you know, by the public, you know, that this is a public-minded reform, I think it's very dishonest, Uh because it suggests that this reform is going to be closer to the people, but we know that when it's within legislative and executive leadership, that's not where well, we're getting yeah, judicial and that's, And this is a common uh, complaint, basically. Anytime this ballot language gets on there, it's quite contested. And I, I, I don't know if the actual ballot language gets voted on or if that's kind of chosen by the victors. Uh, this question is, uh, I'll read it out to you uh, in case you haven't read uh, question three. It's on Ballotpedia, which I found out to be a pretty cool website. Uh, you go on there and you can really look up almost any, uh, it's like the Wikipedia, they they, they describe themselves as the Encyclopedia of American Politics, and they have covered everything. Even uh, you know my race from 2014 when I lost by 26,000 votes is covered in gory detail on here. So if you ever want to read about that, ha, you know, ha, have at it. Uh, this question, which will appear on your ballot, is Amendment 3. 
Shall the Constitution... I feel like I should read it in Shakespearean voice, but I won't. Shall the Constitution of Georgia be amended so as to abolish the existing Judicial Qualifications Commission, require the General Assembly to create and provide by general law for the composition, manner of appointment, and governance of a new Judicial Qualifications Commission, with such commission having the power to discipline, remove, and cause involuntary retirement of judges, required the Judicial Qualifications Commission to have procedures that provide for due process of law and review by the Supreme Court of its advisory opinions, and allow the Judicial Qualifications Commission to be open to the public in some manner, yes or no. That is, uh, my God, I don't, I don't even know what I just read. It, you, it looks like you were handing over a lot of power that's already supposedly in one entity to another entity so they can create it. On This is just my immediate, I've read over it before, but this is the first time I've actually verbatim read it and I'm trying to uh, digest every part of it. And I mean, I don't even think this is flowery language. I, I'm, I'm, about, I'm no right now. Just wow. after well, reading it. Let's hope that that's something that a lot of other people <laughs> feel as well, which which in general, that's a good policy. If you don't fully understand uh, one of the ballot questions, you know, voting no is the right way to go. Uh, and in fact, we all do need to remind our friends and family that, you know, don't make sure to go down to the bottom of the ballot. Yeah. You know, candidates, you'll get another one in the next two or four years. But these ballot questions mm-hmm. on new taxes or constitutional mm-hmm. amendments, they are permanent. Yeah. You and only they, get one And shot. they are street fights to even get them on, which is why I guess... I guess I, what I'm saying is I don't see this as being this flowery language that I think oh uh, the first two amendments certainly have where you're if you're like no you're you're an a hole. Well, I think the concern here is the mention of, you know, making proceedings open to the public. Okay. You know, that implies that, you know, the current uh, system mm-hmm. is closed and that the new system will be So the end of it where it says allow the JQC to be open to the public in some manner, that's implying that right now it's not open to the public. Right. right? That's the implication. And it's true that, you know, some of these proceedings are secret. But under the new proposal, the proceedings would remain secret as long as the judge was, continu- was continuing to be investigated. Okay. It would only be if the judge was exonerated that the proceedings would then become open to the well, public. I don't see a huge you know, I hate, you know, we, we're guilty, you know, innocent before guilty, right? So I, that's, an, that's one of the problems is when you have like these leaks during investigations, the public makes up their mind, right? And it makes it harder for an independent body to, to be unbiased. And, um, you know, in a, a jury type case, if it's a huge murder trial and the media's been out, they always ask for a change of venue and all that kind of stuff. So I, I guess I don't see I don't see too big of an issue with an ongoing investigation than the no comment being made. Right, and that's the existing circumstance okay. that that we have. That, okay. you know, these are not something that you know the press is there at every stage to comment on what the judge is, is making their uh-huh. statement. And indeed, the proceeding in which Judge Becker made her statements was one that was closed to the public, okay. as far as I know. So that's it's not like we would be. It's, it's not like we're, we're not changing it from one it. to the other. Okay. Okay. Right. If anything, we are going to have reduced access to the decision making process afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that is a legitimate debate to be had. Mm-hmm. You know, whether making the decision making process open at the conclusion mm-hmm. of the decision, is that going to produce better decisions or just more politically motivated ones? Right. I'm yeah. not sure if I've got the answer to yeah. that. That is a, that is one too where you have to look and see who's going to be holding their finger out to see which way the wind blows. The other question, and this is one that um that I've seen, and this is a philosophical question, 
is, you know, Republicans have been in power since 2002. Obviously, the state is changing. We're hoping that Republicans can embrace uh, some of the, um, the the minority groups that are going to be coming majority groups here very quickly within 10 years. It's it's always a little depressing to me to look at, at, at some of these states that are turning purple, and it's only because the demographics are changing. It's not because the Democrat message or their policies have somehow helped out so much. It's not like Obamacare isn't raising premiums by 25% on everybody next year. It's not like Dodd-Frank has crushed community banks, and, and that's the reason Republicans have an angle to win. It's only because of the color of people's skin and that Republicans can't seem to message to these folks that these states are turning purple, and that's uh, very frustrating to me. But the fact is, it, it is a reality, and it's one that we have to face. The question is, would you support these missives if the Democrats were in power? And I think that's a powerful question. It is a powerful question. And this this goes through one through four. I mean, two and four, like I said, folks, those seem like they're very – two is about um, human trafficking, child sex trafficking. Four is about fireworks. They want to set up basically consumption taxes to address issues that they perceive in their own crime uh, – uh, crimes will, in their I, own families. I haven't really talked about the fourth Just one. real quickly on Amendment 2, it does set up a fund for victims of child sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And I would just note that there are already two funds in Georgia funded by criminal convictions. There's a a 5% surcharge on every fine, as well as $26 for a victim's assistance fund, Mm -hmm. as well as a victim impact fee. Nobody has been able to make an accounting of where that money is going. I think it's great to help victims of terrible crimes, but you need to tell us where the existing money is going first. So So I'm a no on two as well. That could be something to look at. We've had Dave McCleary on, and he spoke well about that. And again, like I said, I think they're pretty upfront with it. I mean, he basically said, yes, it's a, you know, consumption tax or a, a, it's a raised fee on what to set it up. But uh, here's but I want to get back. We've got to wrap up here in about a minute. So the question, folks, the, the ph- philosophical question is yes or no on any of these amendments or almost any missive in general is would you trust the other party to have this power? And because these constitutional amendments, once they're once they're changed, they ain't changing back, friends. That's right, and that's another danger of this JQC model is it centralizes so much power in the hands of the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the speaker of the House, which are already extremely powerful positions, and provides them with more political favors to hand out. So when you're concerned about, you know, the pressure on an individual making a decision on one of these panels Mm -hmm. from the public, I would argue that the much more substantial pressure is going to be from the people who control the strings of that appointment. Those are going to be the people that have the most impact And that's why Mm -hmm. to retain accountability for our public officials, we want to decentralize that as much as possible. And that's why leaving the JQC in its current state is the safest thing to ensure the integrity of Georgia's judges. Well, I'm not sure if I can argue much with that. (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes you Glad just to hear it, all I do know is that there are twenty seven damn amendments. And you were right. And about I should that. have ended the show on that. But anyway, folks, I hope you got a good listen today. If you have any questions or comments, always tweet at me. I, I try to bring out both sides of all issues. Of course I'm biased and opinionated, but my mind can be changed. Please make sure you do vote all the way down the ballot on these very important issues. If you don't know what they mean, vote no. That's the best line. We'll be back next week. See you on Greg's List. You're listening to America's Webradio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.